Hey everyone, Chris here. Just a quick note before we get started. This is episode 100, and at about half a million downloads at this point, I am extremely grateful to all of you for the support that you've given, uh, for the people who've become patrons, and for the people who have shared this around. Thank you so, so much. Um, I definitely ask that you continue sharing it. We want to keep going with this thing. We want to grow it even bigger. So please keep sharing. Um, as, as a little bit of celebration for episode 100, we've got for the next 10 days uh, 20% off of any of the physical products on our website. We're definitely low on some stock, um, but anything that's left over is 20% off, as well as our ebooks. Those are also 20% off. You can use the code EPISODE100, that's 100 the number, EPISODE100 for 20% off at powercompanyclimbing.com. Also, this episode is a little bit different. We flipped the script. Nate is sitting in the host chair for this one, talking to me, and um, it's a tough job. I think you'll see that in the very beginning of this episode, but Nate falls into it nicely. So again, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All of your support. And I would always be like, look, kid, you are never, ever, ever going to outwork me. Period. It will not happen. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Nate Rolay, and you're listening to Power Company Climbing Podcast, brought to you by powercompanyclimbing.com. And yes, I'm your host today. So today's going to be a special episode. I'm going to be sitting down and interviewing my co-host, Chris Hampton, and uh, we're going to talk about a couple different things. Why, when you said my name, did the sirens go off outside? <laughs> oh. That was horrible. Um, so Chris, what are we going to talk about today? I don't know, man. You're the host. Oh, that's right. Pressure's on me now. <laughs> <clears throat> you got to tell me. I don't know anything about it. As host, Nathan Drolet, um, I think I'm going to host this podcast through telekinesis. Telekinesis. Um, so let's talk, we're going to talk about kind of your journey through having been a weekend warrior for a long time. And that's how this you know, Power Company started started as a blog nine years ago. You know, we keep up in that number. <laughs> I don't actually know what it is. It's, it's eight, I think. Okay. We'll say eight. So it's coming up on a decade now. And <clears throat> that's a better way to say it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you started this blog as a weekend warrior, as someone kind of digging into their own training themselves and trying to figure out what they were doing and you wanted to share that information. <clears throat> yep, exactly. And that ended up later becoming the business, the podcast, everything that is power company climbing. Yep. Um, so yeah, today I want to sit down and talk with you about your entire transition from having been a weekend warrior and very much like someone who's starting to dig into training and learn as much as they could on their own to you ended up training other people and now you're 
not a weekend warrior. Now you have. Now I'm a not a warrior at all. No, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. But things have definitely changed. And so I want to get your perspective on kind of how things have gone. Okay. Yeah. Where do we start? Uh, at the beginning. <laughs> so I was born on October 5th. At the beginning that people care about. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> what started? So blog. Okay. What's, what started it? Well, I was like, I, I've told this story. I don't know if I ever told it on the podcast though. Um, I told it in a climbing magazine article that I had been a trad climber. I had made a name for myself in trad climbing, um, specifically off with climbing, uh, God forbid. And I had quit climbing for a while because I just got bored of the red, which sounds insane now, but I got bored of the red because I'd basically run out of any trad climbs that I could do within any short window, you know, without long-term projecting something, which is, was not my method. And while I had quit climbing, one of my climbing mentors, John Bernal, said in a public forum online that he didn't think that I was an overachiever, which is how I, I guess I portrayed myself because I was a cocky little bastard. Um, he said, I don't think Chris is an overachiever. I think he's an underachiever. I think he does just enough to get noticed and then he disappears. And I was like, motherfucker, he's right. <laughs> <clears throat> and then shortly after, John died while climbing, had a heart attack while he was climbing in the red. And at that point, I was like, what can I do to honor his memory? And the best I could come up with was really give this thing a shot. You know, see how good you can become. Um, so I started really thinking about training and how to become better and I wanted to document that process um, so after I don't know maybe a year of trying to become a better climber I started documenting it and and using myself as a guinea pig you know so that's where the blog started and I got really lucky with the logo it was my first attempt at any kind of logo yeah it's still hard to believe so it's funny when you showed me you're like oh yeah this is because you have the cruisers that you stenciled it on yeah and you're like yeah, yeah this drew is just it with a sharpie on there this is first draft first i ever tried and i was like well that's what it is now yeah <laughs> yeah that was the first thing i ever did was the logo just happened the name just happened um and yeah went from there hmm. so I mean, yeah, you like jumping into the training space. There wasn't even a training space. You're right. Um, there was nothing at the time. Like, there was Dave McLeod. Mm -hmm. He was around for sure. There would be articles in the magazines. Um, you know, there'd be Neil Gresham articles now and then. Uh, Eric Hurst was for sure the biggest name in in training. Mm -hmm. And like performance rock climbing had been written the self-coach climber had been written um so those were all 
big influences on me and I read all of their books, all of their articles, all of everything. You know, I had a <clears throat> I had a huge collection of climbing and rock and ice magazines that I had so voraciously consumed over the years that I had them memorized by what color the spine was. I, I knew which articles were inside. So I remember going, th when I decided I was going to train and become better, I remember going through all of those magazines, just looking at the spines of them and pulling out the ones I knew had training articles I wanted to read. Hmm. You know, and I'm, I read those over and over and over, along with all the Hearst books and Dave McLeod's blog. Hmm. Was there anything in particular that you felt that you could really contribute? Or was this just kind of your own? <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, Dave McLeod's blog sort of... He, he sort of used himself as a guinea pig now mm -hmm. and then um, and talked about his experience, and I appreciated that. And then reading Performance Rock Climbing from Dale Goddard and Udo Newman. That's super classic. Yeah, mega classic. I actually stole my copy from the Cincinnati Library. <laughs> um, I checked it out and then told him I lost it. So I just I ended up paying for it, so I bought it basically for really cheap. Um, but... They use a character in the book who is having these experiences while training, and they use him as a vehicle for saying, "Here's how you should um, how you should train." And I thought that was really interesting, and thought, "Why don't I just do that myself?" Um, I had a bit of a name already from off with climbing, and then from rapping about climbing. Um, and people were already, as soon as I started the blog, people were reading it, um, and people loved the logo and people were really latching on. I had a few friends who were really instrumental in making me feel confident in going forward. Um, like my friend, Justin Riddell was huge at the time for me. Uh, my friend Lee Smith, um, those guys really were pushing me <clears throat> to put this stuff out there. And they were, their appetite for it was big enough that I felt like, sweet, I, I know these two dudes are going to read it. So it's still worth it, even if it was it. just them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, that's awesome. Now I'm like, if 25,000 people don't read this article, then screw just it. Burning the website down. <laughs> <clears throat> right on. Um, so w when you got back into sport climbing, so that's what kind of when this all started, you're like, okay. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I, I definitely didn't go back to the red and be like, oh, I'm going to start projecting those trad routes. I, I discovered sport climbing, um, and it was like a whole new universe opened up. Yeah. You made the right decision. <clears throat> yeah, I did. You're right. Um, <laughs> At that time, you know, was there was there an end, end goal? So this was, because mm. this was quite a while ago. This was about the time that I feel like I first started bumping into you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I pretty quickly, well, <clears throat> so <laughs> the initial goal was actually just to move up the leaderboard on redriverclimbing.com. Like that was it. I didn't, I had no big number goals, nothing like that. And as I, I was moving up really quickly through those ranks, <clears throat> you know, at the time my climbing partner was a girl named Rachel Goldman and we were really into climbing as many pitches as we could as fast as we could you know so we'd have like 25 day or 25 pitch days in the red cool. where we'd be at four or five different crags you know climbing 15 or 25 11s and a handful of five tens because that's what got you up the scoreboard the fastest <clears throat> and and that was really fun and it it helped me build up a really solid base of stamina and just of knowledge on rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I decided that 512 was like where I wanted to climb. So I trained really hard, um, all endurance, 100% endurance training. Uh, for that year and I remember the first time I went into the gym here's why I went straight to endurance training because I remember the first time I went into the gym very very distinctly I can I can tell you the wall I can tell you where the move was and I can tell you what the move was I could reset it right now it was a 10 plus and I was so pumped at the three-quarter mark on this route that I couldn't do this move on a 10 plus <clears throat> I was a 512 plus 13 minus crack climber people knew my name because I was in the guidebooks <clears throat> here I come into the gym and I'm getting fucking destroyed on this 10 plus mm-hmm. so at that moment I made it my mission I'm never getting <laughs> pumped again ever <laughs> you know so I started doing lap after lap after lap I remember the day that I did my first first double lap on a mid 11 in the gym uh i I remember the route i could probably (laughs) write the moves down and so i thought 512 was the place and trained really hard went out tried my first 512s and did five of them in the same same weekend so i realized that at that point that i was there like okay i can climb 512 i need a I need a bigger goal. 513 was the next number. So that became my goal. So that w- I would say that was the big driving force the first few years of the blog was, was 513. First couple of years. Because I spent so much time building up a base of 511 and 512. I did 70 512s that year. The first year of climbing 512, you did 70? Did 70. Before yeah. climbing 513? Yep. Hmm. Did 70 512s before I touched a 513. That's that's a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a slow way to do it, I, yeah. felt, I feel like now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a way to do it, and it worked well. Yeah. So as things kind of kept going with, you know, you kept climbing kept endurance going were there any big shifts for you as far as 
you know, obviously like you just trained endurance forever, kept doing that until it kind of stopped working, but even just beyond, you know, physical training, was there a time when climbing started to take like a different meaning for you or even trying hard? Yeah. On a, on a few different levels, um, for sure. Even when I was just doing the laps, like the, you know, tons of 5.11 and then a, then tons of 5.12, um, those, I was really dedicated to climbing. But as I get into harder grades and as I learn to project, it became a whole different type of dedication where... Um, the entire week was checking the weather, planning the partners to be at that crag, you know, um, planning my week's training around maximizing the weekend. Um, so when I was doing all those laps, all that stamina, all that endurance, <clears throat> I was just training endurance through the season. I mean, going out and doing a, you know, 30, 40, 5.11s and a handful of 5.12s in a weekend <laughs> was exactly what I was doing in the gym on Tuesday and Thursday. So, so I didn't need to prioritize it. It was just what I did. When it became your training in the gym and you're performing outside – at a, at a higher level and doing a different thing, projecting something really difficult, then I had to learn to shift my week and really prioritize for being prepared for the weekend. I think that was the biggest lesson I learned probably in that first few years of the blog and being my own guinea pig and learning to climb harder was that that volume that I was doing couldn't continue if I wanted to continue to make progress. You couldn't keep scaling <clears throat> up. Right. And volume. as soon as I switched what I was doing outside on the weekends, my week had to switch as well. Couldn't be the same, go in and do a million laps on Tuesday and Thursday and still be ready for the weekend. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when you started climbing, that was, you know, tried climbing, very uh, ethics driven. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was an ethical midget. You know, and it gets to a point to where when you're, you know, years down the road, many years down the road, you know, you're living in Cincinnati, your goal is to climb 13 plus, and you're writing a blog about the orange boulder that simulates a boulder across the country that you've never actually yeah. seen. Yeah. Um, that's quite a jump. <clears throat> yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of massive. Um, however, the origin of my climbing was in the gym and was with sport climbers and boulders. And the gym I started in, Climb Time, is a really great bouldering gym and always was. Uh, even though I started 
top roping, they had a giant 45 and, and we would end up spending a lot of time on that 45, you know, and the bouldering sessions with that crew in there <clears throat> with my friends, uh, Chris Eklund and Josh Dees and Jeremy Dees and Ray Ellington came in uh, around that time. And there was just a really great crew of, of Stoke in there and support, you know, huge support. So it really was a, a transfer back to my roots, even before trad climbing. Um, I was definitely a, a gym climber and I was very interested in difficulty in the gym. And then I got bromanced by this fucking trad climbing that, that I thought was the way. <clears throat> and like I said, I was a total ethical midget. I just fell into this trap of, oh, trad climbers have it right and fuck bolts, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, you know, and I think it's something that I think a lot of people can miss out on. And I think you've done it. You did a really good job of it um, is, you know, so you climbed at the red. The red is, you know, it's good in the spring and the fall. If you don't really care about conditions, you can climb in the sun, summer, but it's really heinous. It's heinous. And, yeah. You know, especially like at certain grades, you can get away with climbing in the summer. But at a certain point, too, if you try and climb through the whole summer, you just get burnt out. By the yep. time the weather gets good, you're over it. You're exhausted. You've been trying for hard for too long. It's mm -hmm. a classic cycle. Um, so, you know, you have to turn and turn to the climbing gym. Um, and it's, yep. I think, something that does get missed is, and I, what I think you, you have done a good job with and something that you documented really well is, like, you got psyched about the climbing gym. Like, yeah. you were actually, it wasn't just <clears> like, <throat> oh, I'm here to train. I'm here to get stronger because I'm here for climbing outside and you were like, okay, well, this is what I'm, at least this is how it appeared. It seemed like you were like, Hey, like if I'm going to spend the next few months here, like I should be really passionate about what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a necessary evil. I, I knew I had to do it and I knew that if I hated it, it was, I wasn't going to do it. <clears throat> so, so I went back to those, you know, in my head, I went back to those early sessions of, you know, the whole crew on the climb time 45 for, for hours, you know, everybody trying really hard. I went back to that and I took a look around the gym and was like, yeah, that's not really happening anymore. And, and so I had to create it, you know, it took, it took a lot of work and a lot of convincing, um, whether they knew they were being convinced or not, I don't know. <laughs> um, but there was some struggle to get people excited to train and excited to posse up and, and try hard together. Partly because the gym I went back to was RockQuest and it was a mostly a, a, a sport climbing gym. The bouldering area was terrible at the time you know they've since since built a much better boulder um a big you know, 360 degree top out boulder which is really nice um but early on that 
that environment didn't exist. Um, so I knew I had to create it. And, and that required me to change my entire gym personality because <laughs> I was an asshole in the gym. I just wouldn't talk to people. I was there to work. I was there for a reason. If you talked to me, I would answer you and then I would go back to my business and I would not engage without being spoken to first. You know, I was there to do my business and, and that definitely caused some issues with some people. <laughs> um, but I had to change that. I had to, to get partners to train with, to get partners to go to the red with, to get people stoked on going to the same cliff over and over and over or to belay me for 45 fucking minutes at a time. I would have to become a person who wanted to share. And the blog helped facilitate that. Um, and I, and it was part of the necessary evil. So, so I really fully embraced making friends gym was climbing. part of the necessary evil. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want climber friends. Like <laughs> I didn't want to date climbers. I didn't want climber friends. I just wanted to climb hard. Um, but I had to embrace it more than I had been. Hmm. And I'm glad that I did. Uh, I'm glad that I made that switch, but, but early on it was tough. It was a tough switch to make because hmm. I was a dick <laughs> straight up and psyched on it too. Um, yeah. I was stoked on being a dick. I things, was, I was proud good. of my, my assholeness. <laughs> so I've, I've pretty radically changed and in no, in no small part, my, my fiance played a very large part in that <laughs> because she's the friendliest person at the gym and she's the person everyone wants to talk to. And I can't tell you how many times we would walk into the gym and I would be in there, I would be warmed up, I would be halfway through my session and she'd finally make it out of the lobby because she stopped and talked to everyone. And I'd be like, oh my God, how did I get myself into this? <laughs> but <clears throat> turned out to be a really great thing. Oh man. Um, oh, I was just thinking something. So, kind of touch on the weekend warrior aspect. Yeah. So, <clears throat> for eighteen years, you'd painted murals. Yeah, eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's physical work. Like totally, very physical. Physical, a lot of overhead work. Yep. Um, you know, when you started training harder and harder. Was there ever, I mean, was there ever a time where you, you had thought like, oh, I'm never going to be able to get past 13 minus because I have a physical, I have, you know, I have a physical job, like I have to work a bunch. Like, <clears throat> do you ever have those kind of thoughts? Nope. No. Um, I think that I have a really... I think I'm blessed to hashtag blessed hashtag blessed to have an attitude such that 
I don't do well with excuses, whether they're coming from me or from someone else. I'm pretty quick to say to myself, that was a fucking cop out, dude. Get your shit together. I'm pretty quick to say that to myself. And <clears throat> so I think by that point in my life, it would never even enter my head that there's no way I can climb 13 plus. I had some doubts about 514 maybe. Um, partly because it was a mythical grade when I started climbing. Like there were only a handful in the country mm-hmm. and only a handful of people climbing it. So I probably, I'm sure I had some doubts early on about it. Um, but once I committed to it as a goal, I think those doubts disappeared, at least in large part. Um, and I think that I knew, I knew early on that I was strong. I was physically strong. I knew that. And I knew I could become a better climber. I had, I had heard for a long time that I was a pretty climber, that I climbed gracefully. But I knew there was more to it, you know, especially after Chris Sharma came along, kind of flipped everybody's fucking idea of what climbing looked like on its head. I knew there was a lot more to climbing that I could learn. I, re- I still resisted it, resisted learning some of those things for quite a while. Um, but I always knew I could become better. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think... I was certainly never turned off by the idea that I had to work a full-time job. That just was what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't... There was no other option. You know, I didn't grow up in a time of everybody had a fucking sprinter van. You know, there was... I didn't know anybody who lived in a van. I didn't know anybody who just traveled and climbed, you know. That didn't happen. All those guys that I grew up with learning from were all weekend warriors. If you were from Ohio, you were just a weekend warrior. Like that's that was what the paradigm was. So so it never occurred to me that that would stop me. Right on. Do you think in what aspects do you think being a weekend warrior helped your climbing? Oh, man. Cause, I mean, Certainly more than they heard it. Um, yeah, because, I mean, being a weekend warrior, a lot of people, it's very easy to glorify, you know, oh, if I could rock climb every single day and all this, like, yeah. you know, I would be amazing overnight. But, you know, I think there's, there's a give and take with everything. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So what do you think are some of the things that, you benefited from oh man this is this is an exhaustive list um so i definitely feel like having a structured schedule was huge for my climbing um if i didn't have a job i would have been at the climbing gym all the damn time and i'd have gotten hurt burnt out something to that effect or I'd have just been climbing moderate climbs every single day because I didn't have enough to go hard 
Um, which, I mean, we see all the time. Which you see all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, there's a lot of people who, you know, when they ask us like, hey, what's the best thing that I could do? I've got literally all the time in the world. Like I could dedicate eight hours of every day to training. What should I do? Uh, you know, get rest. a hobby. Yeah, get a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, find something else you're passionate about. Um, yeah. So for you, I, the schedule was. Yeah, the schedule, having that structured schedule was huge for me because I had to, I had to make the most of the time that I had. And that kept that fire lit under my ass to, to go harder, you know? And, and, and talking more about that fire, I would, there would be kids in the gym who were crushers and they would be like, you know, they would say something to taunt me because they knew that, that I would come back with something and I would always be like, look, kid, you are never, ever, ever going to outwork me, period. <laughs> it will not happen. You're going to grow up. You're going to burn out. I'm going to be working this hard still. So deal with that. And This lesson's free. I charge for the rest. <laughs> so I knew. I knew I had a limited amount of time, I had a specific amount of time, and I had to make the most of it. So the schedule was huge. Knowing that I had a limited time outside to reach my goals was big because I can't go, I can't drive two and a half hours and then fuck around. I'm there to get shit done, you know? So I go out and I fucking climb. I have a plan. I stick to the plan and I get shit done. And I think I think a lot of successful weekend warriors are that way that they they're focused. They know that Sunday night comes, they need to get home, they need to get sleep because they've got 40 hours of work coming up or more. They've got kids, they've got other hobbies. You know, so that time at the red or out at the crag, whatever it is, is so precious and so important that you, you have no choice but to leave it all there. Um, I would see those fuckers that worked at Miguel's <laughs> every weekend and I would, I would be like, What'd you do this week? Oh, nothing really. I'd be like, really? What are you going to do today? Oh, I'm probably just going to roll up to the crag and heckle people. I'm like, go do some pitches. See what happens. You're a fucking waste. You're fucking waste. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why waste that time? But it's because they had it available. You know, they had all the time in the world and, and that was okay to them. And I just didn't have that. So it was, you got right now do it right now yeah and it's you know that's the thing that's really hard to it's hard to see like and i honestly think you know you had you very much had a schedule of you were like hey i've got tuesday i forget what it was tuesdays and saturdays for the red yeah oh that was way in the later years way in later years it used to be up until 13c it was every other weekend okay so i just had four days a month 
to four days a month for about five months out of the year. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's so much value in not having that kind of time. Like, you know, Dave McLeod has a chapter, I think it's titled, uh, in nine out of 10 climbers. It's yeah. Fear the weekend warrior. Fear the weekend warrior. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Cause no one will be as tenacious. And I'm, it's the person who has the least amount of time that values it the most. Absolutely. And I knew like, <clears throat> I'm, I remember when I was working at Amazon, I was working between 50 and 60 hours every week, always walking every day, like close to 20 miles. Like I never prioritized recovery as much as I did in that time. Yeah. Totally. I didn't get sleep. Like I would just crash like yep. pretty much within two, three days. Like there wasn't, you couldn't just sleep in your van till nine whenever you felt like it. Yeah. Like there was yeah. no other option other than optimize everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's hard to, I can now look back and I'm like, wow, you know, that time really sucked as far as like, I had to spread myself really thin to get anything done, but I learned so much from those times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a really important thing to really plan, really prioritize, really optimize. I like that you use that word. Um, your time and your schedule and and to find partners who are interested in the same um i think that's really big to you know i had yasmin who is one of my one of my closest friends and one of my oldest training partners and we would start planning the following weekend even if we weren't climbing together we would start talking to each other about our plans on Monday. You know, we'd tell each other what we did and then make plans for the next weekend. And if you wait until Saturday morning to talk about what you're going to do Saturday morning, you're not going to get shit done. That's that's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I don't care how productive you think you are in the last second. It's not going to continue every week. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe you can pull it out of your ass once in a while, but if you don't plan it, you're, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Or uh, you see this all the time. Um, uh, I'm just going to go there. I'll see how I feel and take it from there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that option. Like, and, and Weekend Warriors don't have that option. If you don't feel good, so the fuck what? You don't get a rest day. Yeah. That's... Saturday, you can't choose for Saturday to be a rest day. That's your day to climb. That's all you fucking get. So suck it up, buttercup. You know, you, you got to go. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, I don't think it's, it's tough because it does seem like such a barrier, but I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, let's talk training as a weekend warrior. Mm. You know, a lot of people think that, Oh, if only they could train 30 hours a week. <clears throat> fuck, fuck, no. No way. Um, no. You know, so, I mean, when you were doing this, even like, let's say, when you were trying to focus on climbing 514, like, how many hours a week did were you able to dedicate to training? So, at my most, and let me qualify this by saying that this was... My 514 goal didn't happen until my daughter was in high school, had her own social life, was able to get around with her friends or on her own regularly enough that 
I didn't have to be the sole provider of rides and um, that allowed me to put a little more time into getting outside <clears throat> which meant I had to take time away from the training of it for a, for the the indoor for the outdoor season um, but for those training seasons, when I was doing my most, I would do three high-intensity days a week. This is when I'm not climbing outside at all. This is mm -hmm. during the summer or during the dead of winter. I would do three high-intensity days a week. That would be approximately two to three hours, depending on depending on whether I was lifting weights or something afterward. Um, and then I would do one really low intensity workout that lasted about door to door, like gym door to gym door, probably about 40 minutes. So that was at the, that was at the most that I was training. Somewhere between like seven and 10 hours a week. Yep. And that was and that year? Yeah, your probably peak? probably 10 would be at the most, 10 or 11, because some of that time I was hangboarding in the mornings. Like I would get mm -hmm. up at 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. to hangboard before work. And then I would go to the gym in Boulder in the evenings three days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, usually Sunday. So... And Wednesdays was the low intensity day. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that was a struggle. Like getting that in mm -hmm. was a struggle. Because the three back to back. Yep. Because Wednesday was Caitlin's day. That was my daughter. Um so she would come to the gym with me for those forty minutes, you know, right after I picked her up from school. Mm -hmm. Or she would get a ride home from school. I would go to the gym and we'd just meet at the house, you know, something like that. Hmm. Do you feel like they're, I mean, so having, you know, done the weekend warrior, that whole pro process, do you feel like you would have been limited had you had to stay with that schedule? If I had to stay with which schedule? Um, with what you're basically describing. Like, let's say, you were still living in Cincinnati, climbing at the red. Like, do mm. you feel like the weekend warrior schedule, do you feel like they are drastically limited um, in their potential? Yes, I do. But not because they're weekend warriors. Mostly because it's not really all that difficult to climb out a crag especially the the like second tier routes mm. that you can learn a lot from those are routes that you projected years ago yeah and did so you don't stand to gain as much from them now and and what you have left ends up becoming all mega projects you know so i do think that being confined to one 
crag, even if that crag is as amazing as Red River Gorge is, it can still be pretty drastically limiting for a weekend warrior. Yeah. Um, I hadn't even thought of the geographic limitations of a weekend warrior. I was thinking more time, but I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, for, for 19 years, I never had more than a two week vacation, you know, and I foolishly spent it at Vitavu most of those (laughs) years. Foolish. Um, (laughs) No, I loved my time at Vitavu, but, but that's tough. You know, if you've got, two weeks to go climb somewhere else a year, you know, and you can occasionally do the three day weekend down to Chattanooga or over to the new or something like that. But you don't get to go to Waco for a month. You don't get to go to Lander for the summer. You know, those things don't happen when you're full-time job, kids, responsibilities um so that is a that is a limiting factor that i think we have to be cognizant of and and you have to plan for that you know as sad as it is you have to look at second tier routes ahead of time when they're top tier routes and (laughs) say i'm not going to project that 13b because it's my style so down the road, I want to be able to try and onside it, you know, or do it second go. So you have to hold that stuff back and then be able to pull the trigger on something that for years you've been going, no, I'm saving it for the onsite. No, oh, man. And that's a scary proposition. Yeah, it is. I've never been on Bohica. <laughs> never. Because... <coughs> I was going to save it for a flash attempt. Mm-hmm. But then after I sent Transworld, I was like, fuck this cave. No, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I feel like I missed out a little bit. But I think had I had more options instead of just Bohica, mm-hmm. that was really the only thing I had left that I can think of. Had I had more options, I wouldn't feel like I missed out. Had I been smarter early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's a good answer. Yeah. I hadn't even thought geographically. So time-wise, like let's say you live somewhere like the Frankenura where yeah. it's just A, B, and up everywhere you can turn. Yep. And, you know. So I've got unlimited options, basically. Unlimited options. I hear they're only like 50-foot rock climbs, so you don't even need endurance. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you, have, if you had unlimited options. Uh-huh do you still feel like Weekend Warrior would be quite as uh, limited? I think there are some limitations, but I don't think they're limited by their training um, or their available time for training. And obviously, everyone's got a different situation mm-hmm. you know if you're a weekend warrior who's also got seven children from 16 to two that's a lot more difficult than what i did a shitload more difficult than what i did um so in in the general sense of 
of things. If you have a good gym or a good home gym, um, a good good home wall, and you are dedicated to the process and willing to put the work in, I don't think that you're, you will be limited by your training. Where I do think the limitations can come in are having the time for working on a project simply because working on a project only on weekends is a lot different proposition than being able to work on the moves, take a rest day, and then come back. Mm-hmm. Projecting for a weekend warrior is pretty difficult simply because day two, if you have two days in a row and that's your only option, day two can be pretty rough if you're working on something really hard, especially if you're getting close. Yeah where you're putting in really hard burns on day one, day two can be tough. Or you have to go easier on day one so that day two is good. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always a juggling act, man. And that type of projecting where you can come back after a rest day is massively different than the way a weekend warrior has to project. So I do think that's a limitation. Um, I think if you're a weekend warrior who lives somewhere like Lander where you could sneak up after work to do to do a few burns mm-hmm. then there aren't any limitations unless you have a really physical job. Uh, I mean look at BJ Tilden, he's a he's got a full-time job. Um he's got a family he's got a wife who is a super badass in her own right and has been on the podcast and she needs time to do her things too Mm -hmm. so not only does he have to be present for this relationship he also has to be dad to Wyatt while Emily's out doing her thing and the thing that Steve Bechtel and I have talked about this and the thing that makes BJ so good at what he does is he rests hard. Like he, (laughs) he rests when he needs to and he's very aware of I need to rest right now because work was hard. Being dad was hard. I want to go hard on the project in two days. So I need to rest, Hmm. you know? So I don't think there are limitations if you live near a crag, I think there are mega project limitations if you are a weekend warrior in the truest sense of the word. But can you get strong enough to climb dream routes? For sure. No question. I think you have a better chance than the full-time climbers, frankly, of getting strong enough. Cool. Let's let's talk about that because um, I think that's a good, good way, place to take this. Um, so your schedule's obviously changed in the last few years since, yeah. uh, for better or for worse. Jesus Christ. Um, I don't even know what to say. It's very different. 
Uh, <sighs> I'm refining it still. Yeah, I'm yes. Um, but you've had opportunities that you didn't have before. Like there were times mm-hmm. where you got to go to the south, you got to try you got to climb at like Rocktown, Little Rock City, all those places for about a month straight. And you got to no, go I on. only climbed at Rocktown on I, one boulder. I tried to, I, I was about to say, <laughs> you got to just climb on one boulder for like a month straight. I tried to throw you a bone there, but. No, uh, no I actually did some, some cool dinos. Okay. okay. Other than that boulder. That was um, all I did really. Okay. <laughs> uh, but then you got to take a long trip to Waco. Yeah, totally. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, in your schedule while being very different, it's, you know, a lot to acclimatize to. Um, I mean, now you have, you have a training wall in your home. Yeah. That you've built. That um, I hurt myself on. The new, <laughs> I've heard BJ Tilden called it uh, the best crag and lander. It's the best crag and lander. Yeah. No, no question. Yeah. Um, you, you hurt yourself on. Yes. Um, so now, I mean, this is very different from... You know, being incredibly limited and having to say, okay, this is this tiny, I have these 40 minutes that I can carve out of Wednesday. Like I need to use those 40 minutes perfectly. You know, this is, you know, you can kind of divide up your time a little bit differently. Um, So how has that changed things? Um, So let's, I'll start by sort of explaining the initial switch when I essentially was a full-time rock climber for nine months. And and I, I made, I carried some things over that I think were really important, but I also made some really key mistakes. Um, rock climbing makes you weak. Facts. Period. Training makes you strong. Rock climbing makes you weak. Um, that may sound really ridiculous if you think about someone like, you know, Chris Sharma, who doesn't train, so to speak, um, got really strong just through rock climbing. <clears throat> but we don't have anything to compare that to. We don't know what that might look like if Chris Sharma were to train in a systematic way. And also, just to point out, Sharma would be survivorship bias. Totally. Something we'll be discussing on another podcast. Yes. And so we can take all these examples of people who got strong through rock climbing, but we have no comparison for what their true strength could look like. For me, I know that when I'm training... Regularly, I'm considerably stronger than when I just go rock climbing because I know what happens at the end of every Red River climbing season and I go back into the gym, I can't climb V5. Then by the end of the training season, I'm climbing V8s and V9s again pretty regularly. Then I go out, I have a good season. By the end of the season, I can't climb V5. You know, that's the way it happened every year. You know, those numbers would go up very slightly every year, which let me know those were kind of my baseline, like my measurements. This is how I know I'm getting better every year. Had less to do with what did I send outside, more to do with what level do I fall back to when I come back to the gym. And 
so that's in a three month, two and a half month climbing season. If I'm outside for nine months, then where do I fall to? You know, I don't, I didn't know. I spent a month, like we just talked about, <laughs> climbing on one boulder that was lightly overhanging, slopey, odd compression, balance, strange. Not powerful. Strange boulder. And then I tried to go to Waco. <clears throat> and that was a that was a mistake. Um, I approached the Chattanooga side of that, climbing on Golden Harvest, like I would a normal climbing season. And I have no regrets whatsoever about that part of the trip. Um, but I didn't plan beyond that because that's I was coming from the red, trying all the short bouldery routes that I hadn't done. So to keep my bouldering strength high, went to Chattanooga, felt like I had a shot, got sucked into it, didn't do it, didn't plan beyond that because I was trying to perform in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. And that screwed things up. So Waco was a bit of a struggle. I had a really amazing time because it was my first trip there. I finally kind of found my rhythm there and climbed something that was hard for me. Um, so I realized that I had made this mistake in treating full-time climbing like weekend warrioring. It's not the same thing at all. Then I got immediately thrust into this new life. Um, I thrust myself into this new life. I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't say it like it just happened because the cosmos deemed it so, but now I have all the time in the world to go climbing if I want to. I have no one to answer to. My daughter lives in Indiana. My responsibilities can be fulfilled when I want them to, essentially. Um, if I don't want to work that day, I don't have to work that day. However... Here's the trick. Here's here's the thing I'm struggling with now is that I've become a addicted to this podcast shit. So I want to do it all the time. The business is taking off, so I'm really focusing on it, and I end up not going rock climbing, you know? So in reality, I think the weekend warrior work for someone else model was far better for my rock climbing than this run my own business. I could take any day off I want schedule. Um, I haven't figured this part out yet. Hmm. You know, yeah. I think, I think I can, I think I have the ability to, and, um, just so, just so everybody listening knows the situation, um, my fiance is finishing her master's degree, so she's not working or not, not in a paid position. She's, she's working at a school outside of Lander, um, as her field placement. So right now the power company is paying all of the bills for the new house and, 
the machine shop that we just built and also employing Nate and the new office manager and and Blake and Paul to a, a small degree, even though he's got his own gym, Crux Conditioning. And that feels like a massive responsibility to me. So I just decided that's going to be my focus until Annalise is done with school. And then I will reevaluate my rock climbing schedule and try to prioritize that again. And I think that's a, I think that's something that everyone has to do at some point in their life is kind of prioritize something other than rock climbing. And I'm glad that I have the weekend warrior background and ethic to be able to, to flip that switch when I need it, you know? And I think the, f- the switch will be just as easy to flip when the time is right to flip it back the other direction. Mm-hmm. So I don't have an answer for how, how to do it in this, with this level of responsibility. Yeah. Still, still struggling through it. I, I mean, it's, it's tough. You know, it, it's definitely, it's different too. Um, How does it work for you being able to pretty much climb any day and living in your van the large majority of the year? Um, Honestly, it's, it is harder for me still than when I was like, cause my schedule used to be, I would just find a job, work all the overtime that anyone would offer to pay me. And I typically would have at least two jobs going at a time. I'm not paying you overtime. No, of course not. (laughs) Um, But you know, so I typically find it normally like two jobs, just work as much as possible. Um, do that for about nine months. And then I would take typically like two, one and a half month breaks a year, Mm. which is awesome. Um, you know, it's just like work super hard and then climb hard afterwards. Um, and for me it was, you know, it's a nice setup because it was, I mean, all the structure was already built in. Right. Um, so I didn't really have to think about too much. It was, I mean, it was really difficult to like overtrain because I would be so tired from work that it's like, you know, I would get home it's, or I'd get, I would drive straight from work. Like when I worked at Amazon, I would, you know, wake up at six every morning, make breakfast, lunch, and dinner all at the same time. And then, you know, go work a 10 hour shift. And then as I would drive home, drive and then from post Amazon, some ridiculous shit on Instagram. Post, oh yeah. I would post uh, the most ridiculous item I saw that day um, <laughs> while driving um, of course. and eating dinner. So I would like drive straight from Amazon to the gym while eating dinner while driving because I didn't have time any other time. Um, I would go in and I'd have an hour and a half from depending on how bad traffic was sometimes less. Yep. Um, and I had to leave. I think it was eight fifteen was my cutoff. Um, I was like, cool. Like, doesn't matter if I didn't even finish warming up. If it was eight fifteen, I left because I had to go home, get everything prepped for the next day, and go to sleep. Yep. Like, and that was the only option. So when I went in, like, I cared. Like at that time, I feel like I cared more than anyone else that was there because yep, I didn't totally. have another option. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, I was telling you the other day, like, 
I would, if I didn't have another job on the weekends, like there was a time where I was just working, I was only working 50 hours a week. So I was working five tens, but both Saturday and Sunday, I would nap through the middle of both days. Right. Cause that was the only way I could catch up and actually keep recovering. And I would take one full day off a week. So like my Sundays, I didn't rock, or it was my Saturdays because I had just worked, you know, I just walked a hundred miles for work all week. Right. I would like wake up, run errands, come back, nap. And then I would just relax all afternoon. Yep. And like, that was just something I had to do. It was like, I know I only have two days off a week, but like if I don't dedicate a full day to recovery, I won't be able to get stronger. Yep. Um, so to me, that was a, it was very easy to get better because it was so simple to set up structure. Um, so now for me, it's quite a bit more difficult. Um, you know, and this is a different type of work. Like it's, uh, you know, and the work I do now isn't physical, but it is like I put a different amount of time and a different amount of myself into it for sure. Yep. Um, totally. But yeah. And I mean like living. And mental fatigue is real. Like, there have been a lot of studies that look at the way mental fatigue affects your athletic performance. And if I spend six hours sitting in front of the computer figuring out administrative bullshit for the business and writing people's training plans that I put a lot of time and energy into and then I try to go train, my training definitely suffers from that amount of mental fatigue. The good thing about my old job, even though it was was physically far more difficult than sitting in front of a computer or standing in front of a computer, is that for a lot of it, I could turn my brain off. Totally. And just do what I do, you know? And then I could go to the gym my body might be a little fatigued, but my brain was ready to go. You know, mm -hmm. it's the opposite now. My my body is tired from just standing there or just sitting there, and my brain is shot. So it's a it's a whole different set of of struggles that I haven't figured out yet. Yeah, and so for and I feel the exact same. Like. You know, I think honestly, one of the easiest things for training for climbing is having a job that like, yeah, you can kind of just check out mentally of, um, like yeah. when I washed windows, I cared about what I was doing and that I was doing a good job, but it's washing windows. Right. You, you know, just listen to podcasts all day. I listened to eight hours of podcasts a day. Yeah. It was awesome. Like if I wasn't listening to podcasts about training or business or like working with people, like I was just thinking about rock climbing. Right. Like. It was so sing such a singular focus. Um, and so even though I was like working out in the sun and like moving my arms over my head and like carrying 40 foot ladders all day, it didn't matter. Like everything, like there was one goal and one purpose. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's different. And I think the toughest thing for me now is this is just different. Like I've never known like being able to have this type of schedule, being able to, you know, it's just a large adjustment for me. Yeah. Um, but that said, like, you know, I'm the healthy, healthiest I've ever been right now, knock on wood. And, uh, I'm really psyched. I think this is going to be a really big year. I'm really excited for it. Cool. Um, so we'll see if it'll ever stop raining on the East coast. Maybe I can <laughs> get work and I haven't, I've tied in one day so far this year. Good luck. Yeah. I've got some, uh, 
kind of big sport climbing goals that I'm excited for. Then so time is running out on. I time is always running out, Chris. <laughs> One day at a time. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. I'm really excited. I think this is going to be a good year, though. I feel like more recently I've started to understand how to strike about a better balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't even had a chance to figure out how to strike the balance because I've just had to put my head down and and do this thing that I'm doing. So. I'm looking forward to when Annalisa is done with school and I can learn another paradigm, learn another way to conduct myself and to plan and to schedule uh, and to communicate. I think it's a, I think that's all part of it. And that, that word, um, I know we're getting long here, but I do want to just say a few things about weekend warrioring that I think are hugely important, a couple of points. And one of those is communication. Um, These are the things I think are, and I'm totally just coming up with these off the top of my head, so I'm bound to miss a few, but the things I think are important for you to be a successful weekend warrior are one communication. You have to communicate with your partners, be it your training partners, your climbing partners outside, your significant other at home, um, husband, wife, whatever. Talk to them, let them know how important it is to you. And, Make sure that they're on the same page as you. If there's kids involved, communicate it with them. I mean, you don't have to confess over your six-month-old's crib, but if you have a five-year-old or a you know a, a, a young kid, just explain to them that this is something you really are excited about and want to do, and have them having your back will be massive. Hmm. you know, toward your motivation. I remember sessioning with Lee Smith in Louisville. Uh, We went out to visit. We went to the gym with him. My daughter was there. And this was before Lee had kids. And my daughter, while I was climbing, just said, come on, Dad. And when I came down, Lee pulled me aside and was like, that was so powerful. Like I couldn't, I I just can't understand. I can't wait to have that happen to me, you know? And it is, it's it's huge. So if if you have kids, communicate it with them that this is an important thing that you really want to do. I know it can seem like I don't want to take time away from my kids. That's the bad thing to do. But it's certainly not a bad thing to show your kids that you can be dedicated to reaching a goal and pushing really hard for that goal. That doesn't mean take 10 years of your, you know, away from your kid. That just means for these couple of months, I'll be present when I'm with you, but I'm also going to be really focused on my rock climbing. And I'll tell you about it. We'll talk about it. You know, I'll show you pictures. 
but let them know that that's your goal, that you have a goal. I think that's an important thing to, to do. So communicate, partners and kids, especially partners. Communicate early in the season, and this takes us into planning. Communicate and plan before the season starts with your partners. If you go to the crag the first day of the season and you're like, hey, what are you going to climb on this year? To your main partners, then you already <laughs> fucked up. It's already too late. You need to have that shit totally planned out. When I was climbing with Taylor and Sarah a lot. Team Sailor. Team Sailor. When I was climbing with Team Sailor a lot, we would, at the end of the season, we would plan for the next season. Like, these are the things we want to climb. These are the crags they're at. How do they line up? Are they in the sun early in the day or late in the day? Are they in the shade? Are they going to be a better early in the season route or late in the season route? And we would line everything up so that we knew here are the crags we're going to for the first months of the season. Hopefully we all send and then we can move on to these crags. If not, we'll double crag it, you know. We all had each other's backs. If you don't have that, you're not going to be successful. If you wait every weekend to find partners, you're not going to be successful. You're going to get really frustrated. You're going to give up nine times out of ten. I see it over and over and over. <clears throat> you also have to plan outside of just your season. You have to plan with your spouse with your significant other with with your kids if if you know you're away all this time plan to spend extra time outside of the season plan to do more work on monday tuesday wednesday so that you can rest more thursday leave early friday climb well saturday I don't care if that means you're doing 12-hour days on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Do it if it helps you get more rest and be better on the weekend. You have to be obsessive about it, and you have to be selfish. Um, your time in the gym is your time in the gym. That's also time away from your significant other time away from your kids don't let some random person who wants to just chat your ear off ruin that don't let them make that keep going longer because they're taking time away from your significant other from your kids and and from you and Obviously, you have to weigh whether that's worth it or not. Nine times out of ten, for me, not worth it. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to be respectful about it nowadays. I used nowadays. To be, I used to not be respectful about it. But but now I, now I will. I'll just I'll say hello. I'll chat for a second. And then I'm like, hey, I got to get to this. My time is really limited right now. I got to be out of here in an hour. So... And usually people are like, oh, yeah, do it, do it, sorry, mm -hmm. you know. So for me, those are the, the big key components to being a successful weekend warrior. Has 
zero to do with what hangboard protocol you're using has zero to do with whether you're using kettlebells or a barbell or if you're overhead pressing or if you're on a keto diet or a paleo diet it has everything to do with whether you can get your ass to the crag when it matters and be ready to try so yeah that's my spiel it sounded pretty fucking good i'm gonna just make a transcript of that and sell it as a book perfect <laughs> um, power book <laughs> add uh, power to everything all right, I've got seller. one last question, then we'll wrap up. All right. So we've talked a lot about before. Uh, nailed it. Um, we've talk, talked a lot about before, or a lot before about if you could have, like, if you could build a perfect climber using other climbers' attributes, or if you could, if you could take other climbers' attributes. Mm-hmm. You know. Let's say I was like, oh, I want Rustam Galmanov's finger strength or Jan Hoyer's power on slopers, uh, things like that. So if you could have, if you could build like the perfect climber with any attribute you want, what of your own would you keep above anyone else's? Oh, shit. I didn't think you were going there. I was trying to think of what Sierra Blair Coil has that I would also like to have, but now I don't get to answer it that way. <laughs> um <clears throat> because frankly, I really would love to have her like dedication to what she does. She's got basically got world cup walls in her house. I think that shit is amazing. Yeah. Anyway, what would I keep of my own? I would, God damn it, Nate. Um, I would keep the can this sort of be a two part answer you're running the show here uh, we'll we'll keep it to two no more though okay it's 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 one but it has two halves so I think that is one <laughs> <laughs> you're right it is I would keep my ability to to communicate. So help me if you say with your partners. What I need and what I want out of this. I'm not afraid to tell Annalisa, I need to go to the gym this many days. If you want to see me, you're going to have to come to the gym. That's exactly how our relationship started, actually. When she moved to Cincinnati, I said, here's my schedule. I have, I climb on Tuesdays. I have my daughter on Wednesdays. I climb on Thursdays. I go to the Red every other Saturday and Sunday. And every other Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I have my daughter. So that leaves Mondays. <laughs> and, or you can come to the gym and see me a little bit more, you know, once it's comfortable for you to hang out with my daughter, you can do that too. Um, but I was straight up about it because I had these big goals. And that might sound like a total dick move. But I had these goals and I wasn't willing to negotiate on those goals. At least not at that point. There definitely was negotiation later. 
But because I was straight up about that, about here are my goals, here's what I need to reach my goals, will you support me? I would keep that. And I would keep them. I wouldn't trade the daughter that I have, who is and has been for a lot of years, extremely understanding of this obsession with my goals, with my business, with my music. I mean, she's been there through all sorts of ridiculous obsessions. And the same with Annalisa. I think she's been really understanding of it. Part of that is my willingness to communicate. Part of that is their willingness to understand. I don't think you can be successful as a weekend warrior climber, as a business, a small business owner, or as a human if you don't have those things. And I feel bad for the people I see who have all the ability in the world to climb, but don't have those things. So that's what I would keep for sure. Right on. Cool. I think that's a good place to end this. I'm going to put that at the end of the book. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Just transcribe it straight in. Um, All right. Uh, Anything else you want to finish with? Uh, No. I think, no. I think that's it. I think I've said everything I need to say, and people are sick of hearing me talk. So, All right. Well, I think we tied it into a nice, neat little bow. Um, so yeah you all know where to find us uh, keep listening to this podcast huge thank to, to uh, all our patrons who've been supporting us massive massive and uh, you can find us on Facebook you can find us on Instagram it's it's Facebooks and Instagrams and Instagrams <laughs> punch it into your Googler they're plural they're punch plural. it into the Googler um, you can find us on Pinterest I think at this point, I feel like you can find Lana. Lana's about to take that shit over. Lana's representation of us on Pinterest. Taking Pinterest over. Uh, But you won't find us on Twitter. The Twitter. The Twitter. (laughs) You you don't need, you never say that. Yes, I say it all the time, dude. Because we don't tweet, we scream like eagles. This time, 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 This time the bitch